The following broadcast is produced by Brookside Meeting House Companies, LLC, doing business as Forget-Me-Not Ancestry. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jane Wilcox, and this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour, Your Ancestors Want Their Stories to Be Told. Welcome to the show. This morning, we are live from Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're at the Allen County Public Library and the Genealogy Center. Uh, my guest is Kurt Witcher. He is the Genealogy Center Manager. Um, I'm here for the Association of Professional Genealogists uh, Professional Management Conference, which is being held right here at the library. This is my first time to the Genealogy Center at the library, and I am so excited to be here. Um, we are broadcasting uh, from the Genealogy Center's offices, and uh, Kurt is sitting right here with me, uh, which I'm so excited to uh, uh, be able to have him here uh, and speaking with us today. I have known about the library uh, for years and knew that this is one of the genealogical meccas uh, in the United States. Um, so I'm excited to be here. I have known uh, Kurt uh, through his reputation as a speaker. I've listened to him speak a few times. And I finally, I think in Fort Lauderdale, went up and introduced myself and asked him to join me on the show today. Um, so, so for a number of reasons, I am so excited to be here in Fort Wayne and, uh, and uh, welcoming Kurt to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Shane. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. And we're passing the computer back and forth today. So we may have some lags and some uh, audio that may not be quite as loud as the normal. Um, so as I ask all of my guests at the beginning of the show, um, Kurt, what is your background? Where were you born, raised, your education, and your careers? 
Sure. Uh, thank you. Um, again, very honored to, to, to be on your show. Um, I was born in Southern Indiana. I'm a Hoosier boy through and through, born in uh, Washington, a small town in Davies County. All of my family for three to five generations, depending upon the line, were actually born in Jasper, the county to the east. Jasper, Dubois County, Washington, Davies County are just almost the same county, certainly the same county culturally, the same county family-wise. So you find a lot of families back and forth. Uh, spent a little bit of time in my early school years, as in kindergarten, first grade through third grade in Saginaw, Michigan. My father was uh, a representative of that big company at the time, now almost non-existent company, Western Union Telephone and Telegraph. Uh, so he bounced around a little bit, but grew up in Fort Wayne from the fourth grade on through high school, was in the Catholic seminary system for four years, high school, a little bit of college, uh, graduated from IU both undergraduate and graduate. Um, and for people who don't know what IU is? Well, for people in Indiana, there's only one IU, but, but I, I, I appreciate your, your question, Jane, totally. IU is Indiana University, um, as we like to say, the IU. <laughs> uh, great school, great education. Um, and then I actually uh, thought, Jane, I was going to uh, enjoy a teaching career. And I taught one academic year at St. Catherine's Indian School in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And gosh, it sounded an awful lot like work. And I thought, I'm going to reevaluate this. Got a part-time uh, job, and then I got a full-time job at the library. And the rest, as they say, is history. All right. And how did you get interested in genealogy? Well, I hope they don't espouse any heresy on your show, Jane, but um to be honest, I didn't come to genealogy directly. And a lot of people don't even come to the library field directly, as I didn't. It was uh, on my way looking for something else to do. Um, I've always been really interested in local history. And I know it's hard to unwind family history from local history. But if the truth be known, I'd much rather research the history of a town or a settlement or a region than my own family or anybody else's family. I've just always been fascinated by it. Why did people decide to come here? Why did they settle here? Um, why did this grist mill start up here? Why are there people of this particular ethnic group? And how do people sort themselves out? And clearly, as we know, as we do family history, you know, all that makes sense that local history fits very nicely into, into our family history, provide those with clues and leads and tips. But I've always been way more fascinated in the families in an area rather than a specific family. So that's what brought me to family history. It's like, wow, I can take this local history interest and I can apply it to my own family history research. But to me, as importantly, particularly as a young professional, was I can apply this local history knowledge to people trying to do their family history. Okay. And actually, I, and um, I'm this may be a question that you already answered. I was uh, distracted in terms of getting the audio in place. So how did you come to the genealogy center? You, you have the library uh, interest, and then here you are at one of the meccas. How did that happen? Um, well, it wasn't exactly uh, like that. I had the history, local history interest, decided that teaching K through 12 wasn't exciting to me. Teaching at the collegiate level, I really hadn't explored. So I was in the exploration stage of what do I want to do with this supposed interest in teaching? And then it was, I got a job as a shelver, a full-time shelver at the library. 
then director Rick Ashton was almost embarrassed. He's when he called me, he said, I know this isn't what you want to do. And I looked at your transcript and I looked at your application and this is way, way not what you want to do, but you know, here's a full-time job available. Take it for as long as you can take it. And when I started in the genealogy center, I thought within a couple months, yeah, I'm not going to be a shopper the rest of my life, assuredly, but this is kind of cool. You know, when I listened to the librarians at that time, really teach, Jane. I mean, that, that's what librarians, I think, who are good in the genealogy space, that's what they do. They know their collections well, and they help customers use those collections. So I thought, huh, this is kind of a sideways application of what I thought was my interest in teaching, married to my passion for knowing and discovering and playing in the local history field. And so I began developing, poking, prodding, questioning, and then I went after my master's degree in library and information science based on what a nice hand and glove fit this was from my early interest in local history to being in a collection that has a lot of local history and family history. And how many years have you been here? 37. 37. Wow. 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 So let's, let's talk about the history of the Genealogy Center and the Allen County Public Library. So how, how did the uh, Genealogy Center come into being? It was really, it, it's kind of a neat story, Jane, and I'll try to keep it uh, short. It really wasn't anything that was like a long-term strategic directions. It was basically this wonderful library system, short, quick side diversion. This is an oversized library system for this size community. Fort Wayne is a tier three city. It has close to a tier one library. Um, the citizens here pay more per capita than nearly anywhere else in the world, more than New York City, more than Florida. The citizens are in literally a centuries-long love affair with their library. Uh, they expect the library to do children's stuff and children's advocacy and youth and business and law. I mean, we have really been embraced by the community. So in the mid-20th century, then library director Fred Reynolds really thought that genealogists were a discriminated class of library patrons because they were so atypical. Most people, when they come into a library, they want to see a program, experience a program, or the majority want to check something out. They want a good children's story. They want a good Daniel Steele novel. They want to figure out the firing sequence for their old jalopy and so they can tune it up. And then there were these genealogists who came in and they like asked lots of questions and they stayed all day and they were heavy consumers of the library's resources. That was pretty antithetical to a public library model. It's like, who are these people and why are they... Why are they here all day? Why do they continue to bother us? And so Fred Reynolds noticed that in public libraries, and he said, we should have a place, and that place should be Fort Wayne, where genealogists can be treated and respected like other library customers, like people who are interested in children's literature, like business people who want help developing a business plan, et cetera. And that was just like a match on kindling. The department just took off because there really were precious few public libraries really wanted to serve genealogists well. That has flipped a lot, Jane, between 1961 when the department officially opened and now. But there are still sort of bastions, and I hate to use that word because it usually has a positive connotation to it, but there are areas where genealogists are still kind of a bother to normal reference staff at a public library. So we've always focused on trying to make it a, a good customer experience. And that's really how the department started. It was just that basic concept of, wow, we're going to have librarians here that not only know how to spell genealogy, but can tell people how to do genealogy. And it just took off like amazing.
Wow, wow. So then was the mission from the start to be one of the largest uh, genealogy collections? No, great question, and no, it wasn't, and that's the irony, one of many ironies in the whole thing. Uh, another small side irony is people thought, well, Fred Reynolds, he must have really been interested in genealogy, like he must have done genealogical research, and, and uh, no, <laughs> short answer, no. He kind of thought when people would interview him sort of on the side, sort of off the record, but when someone dies and he's long time expired, but um, you know, some of the things that are off the record kind of sneak their way back into the record. He thought genealogy was kind of silly. Like, so <laughs> these people are spending all this time doing this, um, which to me makes this because he was about serving his customers. He recognized that there were so many public library customers across the entire country who really wanted some help, or really wanted to explore their family history, but knowing how to do that. So even though he personally may not have the greatest thing since sliced bread, he still saw it was a need and, and went after it. Little did he know that one or number two hobby in the U.S., depending on the season, one in the, in the summer. Right. He, uh, and he never had any aspiration that this would be a large center. In fact, he thought, quite the contrary, that we'd still be just a little local history area. So how did, it be, how did it become one of the largest? Was there somebody behind that aspect well, of, the, of the center? He was. After a couple of years, and he saw how grateful customers were, and really, I call experience how grateful customers were. So we had our local DAR chapter donate a tremendous kind of core collection. Then we had historical and genealogical societies in the entire Great Lakes area from Minnesota all the way up through New York donate their extras and their surplus. And then he went to some library conferences and he started wheeling dealing with the National Archives back when the National Archives wasn't quite as burdened with so many rules and bureaucracy and regulations. And he was getting microfilm for amazing amounts of money. And then I think, can't really find proof of this, but just reading and knowing the history. I think it then became kind of a game for him. It's like, wow, I can get some conversations going. I can get some amazing deals. And everything that I add to the collection, the customers just drink it up like wine. It brings more people to the community. Early on and still continuing today, Jane, this center, not the library, the library would make it a little bigger, but this center contributes about $6 million to the local economy and indirect economic impact every year. And that started pretty early and it's grown all along. So he was just like, this is wonderful. I have customers who think this is great. I have entities like the National Archives and other publishers I can deal with because I'm interested in quantity and it's bringing people to the city. And, you know, two or three cities like to capitalize on <laughs> economic tourism, on heritage tourism. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a, a confluence of all the Absolutely. right factors. Absolutely. Uh, very yeah. interesting. So Absolutely. what is the scope of the collection at the Genealogy Center? So our primary scope, whatever that means, I know that sounds like a silly thing for me to say, but our primary scope is North America. And, and what that technically means is we really try. We have a couple of bibliographers. We have an excellent acquisitions team. We try to get every single published entity for Canada and the United States irrespective of province or state. So literally from the North Pole down to the United States-Mexican border, that's our primary emphasis. 
That having been said, we also have a fairly strong emphasis on the British Isles. We have one of the better Irish collections that you'll find anywhere, really deep and broad Irish collection. So while that's not our primary focus, it's like our secondary focus, but maybe 1.5 focus, <laughs> primary focus, North America, British Isles. And then we try to pick up major works for all of Europe, Eastern and Western Europe. And we try to keep a pulse on, a finger on the pulse, if we will, of what our customers are asking for. Uh, so we've developed a little more in Mesoamerica. We've developed some parts of um, our Italian collection. Um, a lot of the world isn't as heavily published as the British Isles and North America. So then what types of material are you looking for? Just anything that's published you're going to, to get? Um, great question. And I think this begins to define a little bit what's unique about the Genealogy Center here in Fort Wayne. While some collections will have a, a subject type focus, like yeah, we focus on North America, but we really focus on New England, or we focus on Germans, or we focus on Italians. Uh, for us, it sounds pedestrian, but it's really an exciting way and a really, uh, in a positive way, burdensome way to build the collection. We focus on anything, Jane, and everything that puts a person in a place at a time doing something. So we will collect yearbooks of all sites, sorts, and types. Yearbooks, alumni directories, school church directories. We will try to collect, um, this was BC, before computers, we tried to collect on microfilm, vital records that were available, uh, will, probate, deed, civil order books, superior court order books, anything that we could that would help people say, hi, ah, here's my ancestors place at this particular time, purchasing, going to school, having children. Uh, we want to kind of throw that net out, pull together as much as we can, because you just never know where someone's going to really find some evidence of their family that might lead them to a primary source document, might lead them to a better hypothesis, might lead them to better refute or support a hypothesis they already have. Uh, so our collection is amazingly deep, but amazingly eclectic. So I'm a historian, and I place my ancestors all the time since I, since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and I've used master's theses, PhD mm -hmm. theses, which are available for company, I think, in Ann Arbor. Do you also collect those as part of the genealogy G-Center? We do. Uh, we don't have the complete collection. Um, one reason that is we find that our customers don't use it much. Um, but um, I love your question because it validates things that we've done. So we've gone through all of those. Um, it used to be University, Microfilm, I think ProQuest, now the marker of that, but it used to be UMI uh, thesis. We have gone through and we have of all the ones that were written specifically on the Revolutionary War, all the ones that were written specifically on the War of 1812, all the ones that covered First Nations, Native Americans, all the ones that have covered African Americans and their experience in North America. They're an amazing source, one, for setting the context, but also my colleagues will affirm this. I'm a citation analysis and notes and citations. So in those theses, wonderful, you know, notes and bibliographies that help, you know, real serious researchers take the next step in finding 
better and why pools of information. Yes, we do actively try to add DCs to our collection. Absolutely. I, I uh, give a talk on uh, New York repositories, and I say I always read the footnotes first <laughs> before, right. before I read the article. It's like eating dessert first. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. So how does the Genealogy Center at the Allen County Public Library compare to other libraries, like the Family History Library, Salt Lake City, um, maybe the New York Public Library, Newberry Library. We're close to Chicago. Yes, we are. Um, um, it's always a challenging question for, for me to answer, Jane. It's an appropriate question, but a challenging one. Uh, why is it challenging? I think you and I both know. What's the absolute best library for a particular genealogist? The one where she or he finds the information they're looking for, and that could be a small 5,000 volume library in, you know, Wild Dog Creek, Kentucky, where I was born. Uh, so it's, it's really hard. You would be disappointed, I think, and so would your listeners be disappointed if I didn't articulate. Um, I think among the best research repositories in the country is right here at the Genealogy Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Why do I believe that? Do we have the most volumes? I don't know. Um, we have an awful lot. So how do we compare to the Library of Congress? Um, between all of their various buildings and all their various repositories, obviously they have a lot of materials. Um, I just don't like to get into the comparison game because I think it, it's, it's more than just your physical resources. I think it's the customer's ability to feel comfortable in your facility, the customer's ability to get good, meaningful assistance from trained professionals and not have to kind of fight your way through the levels of bureaucracy to get to someone who knows the collection, who knows the subject that you're talking about. I think it's our access to online databases that we license on behalf of our customers. So yeah, it, it, it's a great question. Every one of those libraries, uh, the Family History Library in Salt Lake City, obviously a huge mecca for genealogical research. Um, they have more items on microfilm than we have in entire, our entire collection of books and microfilm. So clearly they're, they're number one in the size of the collection. Um, I know that um, the Newberry Library has really amazing, unique resources that you're going to be hard-pressed to find anywhere else. Um, the user experience there, I know they continue to be challenged with that. Uh, how do you make the customer feel welcome? How do you work a private special collection uh, so that the customer has the ability to really do her or his research well. It's still um, uh, an interesting institution as far as being able to bring computers and research notes and get access to things and make copies. Um, but that's not dissing the Newberry at all. Matt Rutherford, who's their sort of local history specialist, really awesome individual, just amazing. Their website, what the Newberry does, uh, Chicago ancestors, their county boundary maps that they have online for free. Amazing collection. I mean, they have an awesome web presence, uh, certainly a superior web presence to ours, but a very different one. Um, our web presence, we're focusing on helping people use the collection. And quietly, we're trying to be what I call the safety net under the wire. So little small databases that Ancestry and Family Search and others can't touch because they're so small. We'll, we'll take a 17-item database. It's barely a database. It's really like a sheet with some names on it that's searchable. Or we'll take a 5,000-name database. So our free side has a collection of database that's small, 
like three and a half million searchable records. But over time, just like this collection, it'll continue to grow. Four million, six million, ten million. Um, it's really hard to say. Um, I passionately believe, and we work hard, and we enjoy what we do here. We work hard to make this what we think is one of the best customer experiences. We add a thousand books or more a month to this collection. Um, I think that's probably at as good a clip as just about anybody. I don't know New England's acquisition policy, but again, an awesome website, American Ancestors. How can you say anything but kudos to them? Uh, they have an extremely large manuscript collection. Most of it you have to be on site to really fully access and fully take advantage of. Um, that, that's New England. Um, I don't know how many items they add to their catalog or their public collection, publicly facing collection every month. We're adding you know, 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 items a month. Uh, we always have librarians on the floor whose principal duty is to help you be successful. Um, and, and I think wrapping that whole picture together, uh, you certainly have to put us in the top tier of genealogy libraries, where we fall. I guess I'd let that to the customer to decide. <laughs> okay, I think you just answered my last question that I was going to ask you. <laughs> Why should we come to the Allen County Public Library? Um, so on, on that wonderful summary, uh, we are going to take a break. This is the forget-me-not hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we will be right back. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. As you're following on uh, Blog Talk Radio, you will see a follow button on the page. If you press that, you'll receive an email letting you know that the show is going on the air, who the guest is, and what the topic is. 
You will also see a bunch of social media buttons. Please share the Forget-Me-Not Hour with your friends and family. Um, on the Blog Talk page, you will also find uh, five years of the Forget-Me-Not Hour, um, usually broadcast twice a month, and there are timeless shows, timeless top topics. Please take advantage of the archives for the Forget-Me-Not Hour. And you can uh, get the Forget-Me-Not Hour on the go. Uh, you can catch it on iTunes under Jane E. Wilcox. Today we are uh, at the Allen County Public Library, and we are uh, talking about the Genealogy Center. Uh, my guest is uh, Kurt Witcher, who is the manager of the center. Uh, so uh, Kurt has so eloquently uh, been telling us about uh, the collection at the center, um, what uh, distinguishes it uh, among its peers. It, uh, as I mentioned, it's one of the uh, top genealogy centers in the world. Um, so let's do a little fine-tuning now. So Kurt, what would you say is unique about the genealogy center collection? I think, Jane, one of the more unique things about the collection um, comes from how we collect in that we will try to have any type of publication, any format, we can accept literally any format from fiche to film to print to digital, um, that, as we mentioned earlier, will put a person in a place at a time. So we will have some really unique, few-of-a-kind items, maybe a 50-print run of a church history from Denton County, Missouri, uh, maybe a scrapbook of firefighters in um, Amarillo, Texas. Uh, so it's how deep we go in the collection um, that we will get historical society publications, ethnic society publications, as well as genealogy society publications. That's sort of a really neat uh, combo of material that we try to put forth for the, for the customer. Okay. You also have a manuscripts special collections part of the center as well. Is that correct? Um, we do. Most of our manuscripts, like many of our uh, fellow uh, repositories, are only quasi-processed or unprocessed right now. Um, we have a pretty high bar for posting materials on the web or digitizing materials. So you'll be able to find some collections on the web under family resources where we've already processed manuscript collections. But anyone wanting to query what we might have here can just send an email directly to us at genealogy at acpl.info. Um, what we try to do, uh, some archivists kind of give us a sideways look. What we process manuscripts in a manner that they can be digitized or bound into physical volumes. And that doesn't lend, or I should say manuscripts don't lend themselves to be bound into physical volumes. So, but that's one of our big preservation means. So we have some original Civil War records. We have some research that's been done on a couple of generations. We will digitize those. If we think we should blow it back to paper, we'll blow back a preservation copy on acid-free paper, catalog it, and put it on the shelf as though it were published as a book and keep the manuscript collection itself sort of as a last resort if someone really needs to look at the originals. Uh, we prefer not to have the originals handled. So we will create another medium for them, a preservation photocopy on paper or a digital image. And for the last decade or so, it's been almost exclusively digital images, unless there's some really driving fact that it would really be nice for this to be browsable on our shelves. And we can get the digital images 
from home on your website? Or yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so you've been here 37 years. What would you say were the one or two items in your collection, anywhere in your collection, that most surprised you? Um, <laughs> great question, Jane. Um, I'm not easily surprised, so it's a little challenging for me to answer. I guess one surprise has been, um, while I intellectually know that we really put a lot of effort into collecting widely and deeply, broadly and deeply, there are times when it's like, I bet we don't have this because it's some really obscure, small history of a tiny little town somewhere. Search the online catalog, poof, there it is. And then it's like, oh, wow, it's been digitized too. And we had the link in our catalog. So it, it's those kinds of of surprises that um, such as what what would be one one thing well um, it hasn't happened recently but this year we were looking for a small church history in southern southeastern Illinois um, and it was um, not very well cataloged on WorldCat so we were kind of wondering if the title was correct and sure enough I can't remember the exact title but it, it was in the collection. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've done your job well. <laughs> so a, a few years ago, I was looking for a, a book. I wanted to borrow it. Um, and I came, to, I think I was on WorldCat, and I uh, came to the Allen County Public Library, which had it. And I was able, I could borrow it at the time. Do you still have that lending library functioning? Um so I was curious when I saw that question, Jane. Um, we've never had. So my question, probably an unfair question to ask you, is if you remember the title of the book. There are pieces of our collection, the history, the local history, where there may be a copy in the regular social science and humanities side of the library. And if there was, then yes, you could get that book through interlibrary loan. Let's say um, the history of uh, Dutch in New York which has been written about extensively in the general history circles as well as local history, as well as family history. Um, our collection that circulates, not the genealogy center, but the library's collection that circulates may have had a title which you would have been successful in oh, getting. Okay, and, so, and it may be that. Um, and I needed to get a library card, at, which I think was like $50 at the time, so it, it may may have been that. Right. Okay, right. But, so, but there are genealogy books just for the, the listeners, there are genealogy books in the regular library that can be loaned. Um, because Yes, it, with a huge asterisk. So not many actual genealogy books, but rather local history books, which all live in the genealogy co collection. But as far as a published family history, very few, um, surprisingly, maybe disappointingly, the genealogies that are also in the library collection. People like Lincoln. In Washington and Jefferson, uh, or any family like uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar or Magic Johnson, if anyone does a extensive biography which morphs into a genealogy, we'll have a copy up here and there'll be a copy or two in the circulating. Okay. On your website, I see you have seven librarians. And uh, plus, so, a large number of librarians. Genealogy Center. It is, and we're just extremely grateful uh, to the community for their awesome support. Um, I hope I don't turn this into any type of uh, political uh, or advertising speech, but 
the, the library really has been amazingly and wonderfully interwoven with the community. We try to meet the information needs of the community literally from infancy to the most mature person right before they move on to their next adventure. Uh, so the library has always been just really wedded to the community. So we are a part of the we have a slice of the pie. There are a number of divisions in the library. There's a public service division, a properties division, an HR division, an IT division, and a genealogy division. So you have this pie, there's like maybe eight slices. Those are slices of the pie. So that's kind of um, a real, not kind of, it is a real and kind of different from many libraries. In many libraries, the genealogy piece of the pie, if I can continue to use that analogy, is part of the reference piece of the pie, which is part of the social science and humanities piece of the pie, which is part of the public service piece of the pie. Here, we're our own piece of pie. So the overall library budget genealogy center is one of the main, uh, one of the main functions. How are we funded? People are special endowments. We're working on that because it's just a wise thing to do in the 21st century. But no, the library, which means the genealogy center, low to mid 80% of our money, 80% or better, comes from local Allen County, Indiana property taxpayers. Another 10%-ish, it's a little squishy, 9.5, 10, 11, 11.1, comes from county option income tax. Uh, all government units in Allen County have a piece of a little income tax. We have a small piece, but we have 377,000 residents, so we have a piece of that of that income tax. And the other squishy percent of budget comes from miscellaneous um, parking fees that, that the library collects. Things. It's amazing the number of uh, resources of libraries across the country collecting people not being able to return their books on time. Um, it's uh, 25 cents a day, but Oh my goodness, the amount of money the library brings in a quarter at a time is, is, is amazing. So that sort of is the, the broad overview of how the library is funded. Um, we certainly do look for and are quite successful in getting grants. Uh, we have a special Lincoln collection as a part of the whole special collections division of the library. Um, and we've gotten over a quarter million dollars worth of grants to digitize and catalog that. Uh, so we're always looking for grants and we're active in trying to develop an endowment. And can we make a donation specifically to the endowment for the genealogy center? Absolutely. Um, we How both, would we do that? We both welcome and are extremely grateful for that. Um, you can write a really long name on your check, Allen County Public Library Foundation, or you can write ACPLF. That's recognized by all the books, et cetera, Allen County Public Library Foundation, and put genealogy center in the memo or field or however you want to designate that with a note. Um, we also have an online giving portal. It has many clicks to get to the right spot, but it's laid out pretty clearly. So you just keep looking for genealogy and about three clicks down, you get an opportunity to uh, put in your credit card information, goes through a secure, a secure portal. And um, I appreciate you asking, Jane, because increasingly in the 21st century, it is consequential for any library information repository to, to pay attention to building endowments. Absolutely, and and like all public libraries, I'm here using, uh, actually I was here yesterday using 
the uh, periodicals, and I'm here using it for free. Um, so it's a, a wonderful resource, and um, I will be making a donation. So what is the future of the Genealogy Center? Are, are you digitizing material? Are you doing any collaborations with people, other organizations? Um, great question, and I can only respond with saying, oh, my gosh, uh, yes. Um, I firmly believe my colleagues have long tired uh, of hearing this, but I'm, I'm excited and I'm really passionate about these being the best of times for genealogists. So um, what's the only constant in life? Change. And so institutions, box stores, bricks and mortar stores, whether they're libraries, whether they're archives, I think paying attention to what your customers want and how they want to receive whatever it is you're offering um, is pretty important. So uh, a number of libraries have sort of panicked, so have archives panicked because you know, there's that OMG moment. You know, we don't have as many customers coming through our doors. What are we going to do now? The sky is falling. Um, there's some people that react to putting things online in that same, what I would call, very 20th century mindset. People won't come to us. They'll just look at all of our stuff online. Um, I don't know the science or the sociology, Jane, or the psychology behind it, but putting materials online, you can't pay for marketing that works that well. So we're um, hot on the trail of putting as much of our material that we legally can online. We're not going to violate anyone's intellectual property rights, but we're on a quest to put everything from 1923 on back to put like domain material online. And oh my goodness, Jane, that is an awesome marketing. It's, it's more marketing than we could actually do with a, a strategized marketing plan. People stumble across our material on Internet Archive, on Google Books, on WorldCast. They click on a link, and one of the first things people do is like, what else you got? So it drives them to our catalog, and then they see things that were published in the last 10 years, and they're thinking, oh, my gosh, the stuff that I can get online for free is awesome, but I want to look at those other three things or those other 13 things that look like they fit my research area. So it's huge in marketing for us. Um, I think libraries and archives as well have to get comfortable living in the digital space. So our trustees are pretty proud and are pretty pleased with the ROI on our investment in digitizing when they see that um, this year, the books that we have on Internet Archive, one source, just Internet Archive, and we have them on Family Search and other places, have been downloaded over 6 million times. And we don't have our whole collection. We have a fraction of our collection. We have barely 10% of our collection online. There's a good third of the collection that won't be online for a long time. Probably our children's children, Jane, may see some of that come online because it's copyright protected. Uh, so um, exciting times. So if libraries kind of been that's immediacy, I want it on my mobile device. I want to be able to get access to play with it anytime, anywhere. Um, I think they're they're the best. Of um, what's the future of the genealogy center? We continue, I hope it doesn't sound like a broken record, but we continue to add 1,000, 1,200, sometimes as many as 1,500 items a month, month in and month out. People aren't slowing down publishing. Uh, technology has only made it easier to publish. There are still people, and I totally respect this, totally get it. Um, very few people get rich selling histories of their family. And that's, that's perfectly fine. There are some people who say, here, 
here's my USB drive, put up on your website, do whatever you want to with it. There's some people that say, here's my USB drive. I'm only giving you authority to print this out with my copyright statement on your shelf as though I were sending you a book. That's awesome too. That's perfectly fine. So, so we accept all of that. Um, a lot of publishers have, uh, have come up and, and it's uh, a lot of money. Flip it to someone on a DVD or on a USB drive and say, this is the print copy I'm giving you. Print it out, bind it, and, you know, I mean, all of my intellectual property rights, and no, you may not put it on your website, post it, etc. I like that. I didn't know people were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then how about collaborations, which, you're going, which will lead us into our next segment? Yeah. Um, we really actively look for collaborations in the genealogy, local history, family history space. Um, I've been a big proponent of uh, collaboration. It was awesome to be on the New England Historical Genealogical Society's advisory board a number of years ago when uh, Ralph Crandall at the time was, you know, looking at sort of out there on the frontier, like how, how do we be successful? And he was a big advocate as I was and continue to be about cooperating and collaborating. So who do we collaborate with? Uh, Family Search, number one. Um, they have a scanning operation here. They have um, six volunteers that they train in Lake and send here for anywhere from six months to 18 months. Usually the typical volunteer period is a year. Uh, they spec out awesome equipment and they send and install that equipment as well. It's a wonderful partnership. Uh, they get access to unique materials in this collection. If you kind of compare both collections, Family History Library and Allen County, um, the collections are amazingly similar. The Really similar in number, and we overlap about 80%. So it's at 20%. So they digitize you know, as much of their collection as they can. They help us digitize as much of our collection, and, and we combine those two 20% of, of uniqueness. Um, wonderful partnership. Uh, they have such a dedicated individuals, and they, they're about doing good things. So they really get that yeah, it's really boring to scan, but I'm doing something that people around the world will benefit from. Unlike some scanners, you know, where it's like watching paint dry, you know, put on my earbuds, play my, my music, the page. Our, our family search uh, volunteers are kind of a league above that. They really appreciate what they're doing. Um, so great partnership with them. We also are partnering with Internet Archive. So um, they have a scanning station here where they not only have material, but they have probably two, 300 uh, customers from around the country, from universities to other public libraries to uh, special where they're doing all kinds of things. So our workflow, if you will, is a piece of their larger workflow. We like having them here because they have those great scribes. I don't know if you've seen an Internet Archive scribe. It's a, a planetary setup where you're not turning the book over, but it holds it in a V cradle that has two great cameras that shoot opposing pages. One click captures two pages. They have great, they can do a six to 800 an hour, and that's manually turning the pages. So um, really great partnership there. Um, we are constantly on the prowl for, for new partnerships. Um, our Lincoln collection, which is really pretty amazing. We could do another whole hour on that. Um, we partnered with the state of Indiana. So the Indiana State Museum curates three-dimensional items in this awesome Lincoln collection. We curate 
I always joke with everybody and call it the better part. We curate the two-dimensional items, the manuscripts, the newspapers, the photographs, et cetera. So we're always uh, real hungry for, for partnerships. Um, it's sort of the, uh, the manna of the 21st century. It's, it's the extra sweetness that, that makes everything come together. Uh, trying to do it alone just has never really worked well and probably works less well than it ever has. Okay, and we're going to save the Percy partnership uh, for when we come back. Uh, we are go- we will be talking about the periodical source index, but first we are going to take a break. This is the Forget Me Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we will be right back. Welcome back. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. We will be back on the first Wednesday of the month, as usual, for the New York-related show. Uh, So October 5th at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to be interviewing Tom Trinisky. He is the founder of Old Fulton, New York Postcards, and he will be telling us all about uh, his project, which is wonderful, also known as Old Fulton uh, Postcards. Um, So that will be October 5th. And then uh, the third Wednesday of the month is actually going to be the second Wednesday of the month in October. Um, So that show is going to be on October 12th, 10 or 10.30 in the morning. I have to confirm that with my guest. And I'm going to be interviewing Keith Erickson. He is the director of the LDS Church History Library in Salt Lake City. And we're going to be talking about early LDS church history and the records that were generated uh, during the early days of the church, which should be a fascinating show. Um, Again, that is the second Wednesday of the month, October 12th, uh, which is a different time than usual. If you have any questions for upcoming guests, uh, please find me at janeewilcox.com. Send me an email uh, through the contact page. I would love to hear from you. Um, Also, uh, for today, uh, we have so much to cover. We are going to extend the show by maybe 10, 15 minutes, um, so we can talk a lot about Percy. And if you are listening live, uh, you're going to lose the show uh, right on the hour, but you can pick it up on demand uh, for the last 10, 15 minutes. Uh, 
um, on demand when it's available on Blog Talk. Um, so as I mentioned uh, before we took the break, uh, the periodical source index is uh, associated with the Allen County Public Library Genealogy Center. And um, I would like to find out from Kurt, how did that happen? You know, how, what, what was the catalyst of Percy, uh, who started it? Sure, absolutely, absolutely. It's a great story. It's, it's a fun one. It's one I really enjoy telling. So way back, B.C., before computers, all of us remember doing term papers. We go to the library and we look in those little olive green books that seem to go on forever called The Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature. And we look up the Kennedy assassination or we look up the Apollo moon landing. Well, there was nothing like that in the genealogy space. And there are just thousands upon thousands of periodicals, over 10,000. And published, not issues, but individual societies, historical, ethnic, genealogical, you name it, have published periodicals in our space since the early 19th century, since the early 1800s. So um, there's just an awful lot, but there's, there was no subject index. And librarians have been musing about that since the nation's bicentennial, since 1976. It's like, gosh, there's no subject index. How do you know that there's a cemetery transcription in this periodical? Well, you'd hope that the county that published the periodical would have their own cemetery transcriptions, but still you'd be looking through years and years and years trying to find the one cemetery. So uh, Michael Clegg, it was his brainchild, um, basically said, you know, we, we have to do something about this. And he, it's his idea to start a subject index to periodical literature, kind of like the old reader's guide. And again, this was just as computers were being used in the offices. The first version of Percy was a print version done on a dot matrix printer, which some of your listeners may not even know what a dot matrix printer is. It's so ancient. And what year was that? <laughs> It was 1986, so 10 years after the bicentennial, we published the first skinny volume. Um, Percy can be kind of confusing because of the way it grew up, but I know this sounds kind of biased, Jane, but I think confusing or not, it, once you use it a couple times online, you'll really get uh, familiar with and craving all the value you can get from it. So uh, first thing I, I like to tell people that it's not in every name index. It was modeled after the reader's guide in the 21st century. That's kind of a foreign concept to people. Okay, well, what do you mean it's not every name index? Aren't all of these you know, issues digitized? Short answer, no, they're not digitized. Uh, we're indexing all the print copies. Many societies have converted to publishing digitally, but most have not. So while there's a large number that are doing digital publications, for most, it's still a struggle. Um, a number of societies still believe their members want a physical copy. I always, being the contrarian I am, Jane, I always push them back on that a little bit, saying, are you sure? Have you really asked them? Or do you just not want to change? But I uh, don't want to digress. So with the subject index, what do we index? Do we start with the A titles and go to the Z titles? Uh, no. Uh, we started that way, and we... Uh, we'll have sort of a secondary project that is methodically marching through titles. But when we have a large important one, we mentioned, I think, off-air Tree Talks. Tree Talks is such an awesome periodical. That was one of the first ones we indexed because it's just so awesome. Well, that's way down in the T's. We didn't work our way A to T. We went to Tree Talks, the register. Awesome periodical. So we understood there are a lot of to get those into the index. And we also want to pick up 
all the little ones that people may not think of because that chain is one of the beauties of Percy is looking in the geographic area or the ethnic group or the family name that you're interested in and having those aha moments like, aha, I, I never knew something was published here. Or I never thought to look in this particular periodical. Or the third one is I never knew that periodical existed. And here they're finding a citation in the index. So it started out as a print publication. Then we partnered with our friends at Family Search and they put it on microfiche and shared it with all of their family history centers. Then we partnered with Ancestry when CDs were a big thing. That was way before DVDs and Blu-ray. I mean, CD, everyone thought CD was going to be the medium for the ages, and it lasted a couple of years, uh, as most technology does. And then we partnered with ProQuest to move it from CD to an online environment, um, both with our Ancestry partnership and our ProQuest partnership. We, the library, were always interested in exploring, is there a way that we can contact societies in a methodical way and see if they will grant permission to digitize their issues and link the issues to the index. We thought that Percy could be more useful to our customers and have a lot more gravity in the 21st century if people could search for a particular geographic location. Denton County, Missouri, boom, here come the articles. For the ones that we've had permission from the publisher, there will be a little icon. Click on the icon, up pops the issue. Um, there are several hundred articles now since we've partnered with Find My Path. So after Ancestry put it online, we um, uh, went with ProQuest. I should say ProQuest put it online. Ancestry put it on CD. ProQuest put it online. And then Find My Past um, said, yeah, we'll do that heavy lift of contacting every single publisher of every one of these periodicals and offer them to start a conversation about how can we rights while at the same time providing electronic access to these. Um, are mildly interested. A number of publishers are really excited about having their material uh, scanned and made available to people. Um, so that, that's the, the postage stamp version. So from uh, Michael Clegg's idea to the entire Genealogy Center really was the entity that still indexes it um, and working with these partners book, fish, CD, online, and now online with links to issues. Okay, so let's go back to the cataloging, uh, just so I'm, I'm clear on what I will be searching on Find My Past, and we're going to mm -hmm. talk about that function in, in just a minute. So you get a periodical, and you look at the uh, titles of the articles. You mentioned Denton County, Missouri. Um, Denton County, Missouri is not mentioned in the title of the article, does that get in the index? Or do, how, how, how? Great question, it? Jane. Great question. I'm glad you asked because some researchers up, I apologize for that. Um, we index the title. Uh, and maybe I should say we small index I the title. So we'll include the title in the site. But we will also, number one, if the title is something like Bones and Stones, Part Two, and it's really the continuation of the Riverside Cemetery Trail, Part Two, which is not very descriptive, colon, Riverside Inventory, continuing from previous issue or dates or, or whatever. But to your question specifically, we do not read through the whole article unless we need it to clarify what an ambiguous title is. Uh, keywords 
portion in Percy is only keyword searching the title. So if Denton County, Missouri is mentioned in there, um, and our indexes are really good about um, actually skimming every article, there isn't some other little nugget in there that's we pull a lot of nuggets forward and index them along with the actual article that they're buried in. Uh, but essentially what gets keyed in and what research is what you and I can search on Percy is the title. Okay, so individual words within right. the title are searchable. Correct. Okay, and so how do we do that? You mentioned Find My Past now is the portal. Yes. And it still is there? It will be there through the month of October um, by agreement with Heritage Quest Online, which is owned and marketed by ProQuest and the Find My Past uh, team that we're working with now. Um, we did um, sign an agreement uh, a number of months ago, and um, we're moving things methodically over to the Find My Past side of the house. Um, they, all of the intellectual property rights work on getting publishers to agree to link their issues to the index, um, and they will, after November 1st, be the sole provider online of the periodical source index. Uh, some of your listeners, libraries or other organizations that have access to Percy, um, I know that'll be a change uh, for them. Um, contact, find my past. Um, it's really easy to do. You can do Percy at questions. It will be a change for many libraries, but um, I think it's worth exploring. It's, it's an enhanced index. Even though we're indexing the same way, the Find My Past search algorithms find more precise because they're the only one of our partners that have ever worked with trying to get societies to give permission to their issues to the index. You won't find that anywhere else. Um, and third, they have committed real-time, not just paper commitment, but real-time commitment to updating the index quarterly. So what you find on Heritage Quest Online is almost 350,000 entries short of what you can find on Find My Pass. Um, because of the updating mechanisms of those other organizations. Okay. So I, I saw Jen Baldwin from Find mm -hmm. My Past uh, just this past weekend and uh, asked her a few questions about uh, how Percy works with So um, my understanding is a landing page, mm -hmm. and people can search for free. Absolutely. Explain how this works. Well, um <laughs> You did such a succinct job. Um, <laughs> being succinct, as my colleagues will affirm, is not my strong suit. Uh, yes, um, Find My Pass created a great landing page. It's probably the best landing page we've had, where you have a choice or three choices, and you can play around with those three choices. I always tell people when you arrive at a new database, take a few moments just to play. Uh, so you can um, play a little bit by uh, surname. So put in a surname. There's a keyword, so you can do what would this title be? You can put in like a soldier's name or you can put in a company, a regiment, a unit. Geographic location is huge. I always encourage people to play with geographic location as uh, both a keyword, but then also you can say, give me everything that's in Percy for this Canadian county, this United States county. 
that's, you know, County Down, Ireland. Uh, so it has a great capacity to bring together all those articles that are about that specific keyword or about that subject. One of the nicest things I like about uh, the Find My Past experience, Jane, is that what I call the facets that are along the left-hand side. But once you get a result set, you say, oh, my gosh, I got 2,380 articles. I don't want to look for 2,380 articles. What do I do? Well, along the side, you can then have options of how to narrow that. Maybe you've, instead of searched a county, maybe you've searched um, a state, and then you have your county uh, listing. Oh, I, I can pull up all the counties. And here's a county. You can click Bibb for Georgia, Bibb County, Georgia, some other Fulton County, Georgia, and it will just take that result set and just bring it down to those two counties. Maybe you've researched or, excuse me, searched Bibb County, Georgia, and you come up with a thousand hits. You still don't want to look for a thousand hits. So you say, okay, I want school records, or I want census records, or I want cemetery records. You can take your very large search results set and narrow it by indexing the subject. So it's a really great way to be able to do a broadcast search and then quickly narrow it. Okay, so once we get the search results, and I, I played around with it as well, uh, put in some uh, surnames, I put in some locations, and I, I got a couple of entries. Where do I go from there? Well, um, quickly, your listeners will probably be looking for that little camera. So there's going to be two items in the perfect world off to the right hand side of every single hit that you get if it's an icon that looks like a piece of paper you click that and it gives you the details of exactly where that article is found so the title of the actual periodical the volume number year of that periodical and then um, it will list uh, whether that periodical is found in you know, 15 of the largest genealogical research centers. So our library, family search, our family history library, New England, there's like 10 or 12 others. Um, we're working on a link into WorldCat, but that's, that, that's a future thing. So you, you get a piece of paper icon, you click on the paper icon, that's what you want to write down so that you can request an article or go to your local library and, and get the article. If it has a camera, that means that the issue that that article is in has been digitized. You click on that camera and up will pop the issue. Click down a couple pages till you get to the table of contents for that issue. And you can say, oh, there's my article it's on page 17. And then you can go to go to that. that. So um, you get your search for the camera, but. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, if I get the paper version right. and, and obviously I'm, the uh, mag or the uh, periodical is here yes. at the Allen yes. County Public Library. I understand that I can order the yes, article. How how do I do that? So there's a form um, associated with the results page. Um, you can also, if you are fossil, which is copying and pasting, you can create like a Word document or a text document, and you can actually like email that to us. Um, we do charge $7.50 plus 20 cents a page copying for six articles at a time. And I know that sounds a little convoluted, but $7.50 will get you all six articles plus whatever it costs, 20 cents a page for copying. So maybe all six articles are only two pages a piece, so it's 12 pages times 20 cents above your 650. But if if there are 100 pages, um, then it's 100 pages times, times 20. 
Wow. Wow. Okay. So but it, go ahead. If I can show it, a quick small diversion. Um, we have that photocopying service for articles as a service. If people want to find their copies of the article someplace else, that is absolutely terrific. So some people have asked us, I know ProQuest has a fat, so did find my path. Well, what happens if people don't write to you anymore and don't order any articles from you anymore and that revenue stream dries up? Um, it really isn't a revenue stream. It's a cost recovery operation, and we'd be happy to deploy those resources elsewhere. So if it's easier for you to write to the society and say, hey, I'd like this article, many societies, not all, but many societies provide it. If it's easier for you to say, hey, well, you know, my Dallas Public Library, which I was just there last week, an awesome collection. You know, if you can find it there, it's easier to walk in there. So wherever customers want to find it, we offer that copying service as a way to ensure that people can get a copy of what they find. But they should explore for quicker, easier ways. Okay. All right. And they're, they're, with all the uh, digitization happening, um, yeah. you still will be offering this service yes. for people? Okay. Until there's not a demand for it. Okay. Absolutely. And what percentage or number of periodicals would you say Find My Past has scanned and digitized already? It's very small, Jane. I would say it's probably 2 or 3%, but they've just started on the project. And you mentioned Jane Bald excuse me, Jen Baldwin earlier. Uh, terrific person. She's done more than the previous two partners we were with um, trying to uh, work with societies. And it's really all about, about getting the word out. Find My Past really has an awesome proposal for societies. Uh, they will digitize at no cost the periodical run and give a digital copy back to the society to put behind their paywall. Some societies have already digitized their works. Some societies haven't, and they're like over the moon that they can, you know, actually get this digitization done for free. Um, Find My Past is off also offering micropayments based on the number of issues that are, that are downloaded. No society is going to be able to make their entire annual budget on that, I don't believe. I mean, they are micropayments. But, oh, my gosh, Jane, that, that, that's kind of new to genealogy publishers where someone's paying them per click, per use. Um, Find My Path will also, it's also very flexible with embargo periods. So if you say, you know, I'd really like to do this, but uh, I'm just not comfortable giving you last year's and the previous year's issue, um, they'll work with any organization, and they're very flexible. About maybe you want to embargo the last 10 years. There are a lot of societies they've signed that want to embargo current and preceding year. Um, they'll even set it up so that it can be an automatic where every year you send them the, the next most recent one, or it can be every year you query us and we'll tell you whether um, we're excited, interested in having the, the next year go up. So really flexible, really customizable, uh, micropayments coming back to the societies. Um, I think it's worth exploring. Some organizations may say that's cool, that's wonderful. Not a lot of ones I know. Our local genealogical society, Allen County, here has already signed up with them. The Indiana Genealogical Society, which I'm still on the board for that organization, um, all we're doing is fussing with commas and periods and cross T's and dotted I's. They're, they're down with the concept. I think the more people hear about it, um, the New York Genealogical um, Biographical Society. They've signed on, and what an awesome publication that is. So it's, yeah, it, I mean, as people hear about it and as people say, hmm, 
what's the downside of this? I don't really think there is a downside because the society maintains the control. Okay. All right. Uh, so, so in periodicals, for Percy itself, what's the scope? Is it every single periodical that comes into the Allen County Public Library? Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. So that's North America uh, Canada, and Canada. British okay. British Isles. All right. right. And then um, on your website, uh, it says that currently you've got six periodicals coming in. How do you keep up with the indexing? Uh, it's it's a challenge, and um, to do a Cliff Notes version of history, um, when we first started this endeavor back in 1985-86, uh, Michael Clegg thought the universe of periodicals would we'd be able to squeeze out maybe a quarter million subject entries. And then we'd be sort of finished. All we have to do is maintain. Well, reality was quite a bit different than that. We've been into this like more than a quarter century. We have almost 3 million subject entries, and we're about 65% complete indexing our collection. So what we did is we drew a line in the sand at 86 and really are hard about trying to index everything that comes in currently, 86, 87, 2014, 2015, 2016. Then we've been working away at the backlog. As you know, many societies, particularly the ones on the East Coast, the, the awesome societies like NYGMB, like HisGen, who have been publishing for more than a century or close to it, you know, that's all in that retrospective or the pre-86 portion of our endeavors. So depending on the title, we'll reach all the way back to volume one, issue one right away. For some titles, we're still chewing away at that. So there's the, there's much work to be done. That's, that's exciting. Uh, also exciting, I think we're over 50% done with the universe. The universe was way bigger than uh, we initially thought it was. Um, but every day, every quarter, with the next upload to find my past, you're getting new subject entries that have never been available for us. Okay. And I do want to mention, uh, should you find something on Percy, you can, as Kurt was saying, you can order it uh, from the Allen County Public Library as a photocopy, but you can come here in person and it's open shelves. <laughs> that, that's so exciting. So you can actually pull the periodical off the shelf and not have to order it. So I, I was very pleased with that. So um, you mentioned that over the course of, of the years, uh, you've got a, about 10,000 periodicals. Do you have an index for all of those uh, periodicals somewhere or is it, uh, is it in your catalog? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Um, most all of them have really robust catalog records. Some have what you might call a brief entry where the title, when the publication started, and not much else. But we have an awesome team in our support side of the library, our genealogy materials handling unit. We have one full-time person who's devoted to nothing but serial stuff, checking in new issues that come in, claiming issues that have been missed, filling in gaps, working with Aaron Smith, our cataloger, on getting those in the catalog in a very detailed way so you can tell exactly what we have. A great team of people work on that. Okay, and my last question for Percy, what's the future for Percy? Um, I still think we have found the best partner in the past. So 
So if, if you look in a very scratchy crystal ball, Jane, um, 21st century researchers are really going to more and more demand, and I think Find My Past is set up to do it, um, demand to be able to search across all of the articles. Once an issue has been digitized, obviously it can be OCR'd. And even if you don't clean up the OCR, and many organizations do, um, now you can search 60 to 90% of every word in every article. I think we can look to find my path to entrees into actually getting inside periodicals. I still think there's high value. I know it's a little bit conflicted in the library field and the indexing field. I still think there's high value in subject indexing. Um, I was just reading an article this week about information overload. They say that Americans are obese, not in what we're, just in what we eat, but we get so much information, we don't know what to do with it. We become lethargic. We don't know how to, don't know how to wrap our arms around it. We don't know how to shrink the really play with large data sets. Um, subject indexing is one of the best ways to take this huge silo of data and say, okay, these 2,000 things match your search result. Now, here's some new facets. Well, if you narrow that 2,000 down to 21 or 7, um, and subject indexing is the key to that, or different types of metadata tags. Um, so I think we can look for um, some enhanced keyword searching, then some every word searching. But even with you know uncommon names like Witcher, if you search across you know Google or you search across any large database common as that is, you get hundreds of thousands of hits. So every word searching is exciting, it's wonderful, it's kind of like candy for a kid. Looking at, okay, how am I going to deal with a million hits? I'm going to have to refine my search. How do I do that? Well, maybe you'll want to use a subject search to help you refine your search. So I think it's pretty bright. Okay. All right. So my last question, is there anything else you would like to add about the Genealogy Center and or Percy as we wrap up? Well, you've done a great job with questions, Jane, and I certainly appreciate that. Um, I would just encourage your listeners to explore us uh, virtually or in person. Uh, you're welcome to do both. Genealogycenter.org is a great way to explore us. We have some small number of instructional videos, but it's a great way search our catalog, our free databases, and take a look at the databases you have to be on site to use to license databases. Um, second of all, I just encourage you, if you're ever in the neighborhood, I know Fort Wayne isn't necessarily in a direct path to anywhere you may be going, but it's close to Chicago, it's close to Detroit, it's close to Indianapolis, it's close to Cincinnati. Uh, if you're ever in the neighborhood, you're certainly welcome to, to stop by. As you said, Jane, you can come here and research without any fees, any any cost, any card. Uh, you can even bring a USB drive with you and don't even have to pay for copies because you can put it all on your all on your USB drive. Okay, all right. And as I, actually I should point out that the uh, URL for the Genealogy Center is on the Blog Talk page for the landing page for Percy Excellent. on Find My Past. Um, so my last uh, couple of questions for you. What is your own ancestry? Um, I'm basically German with a little bit of English and Swiss. Um, all the lines I have been able to explore, and I haven't, I think no one's able to do all the research that they'd like to do. And certainly, I think I'm an example of the cobbler's children having no shoes, and that I hardly ever get time to work on my own research. 
my, my bad, my fault, but um, direct lines on my father's side, um, German. Um, and when did they come to the U.S.? Um, right after the Civil War. I still think there's one potential tangent line that was in here before the war between the states. Um, my mother's family the same way. Um, they're Englerts, Shooks, Gogols, Hennigers, Witchers. Um, so the, uh, largely German. Um, I really have not uh, been enough to find the exact town in Germany where they came from. Um, the path is several generations in southern Indiana from, expectedly, the Queen City area. Cincinnati was the gathering point for so many Germans coming up the Mississippi, Ohio, looking across over land. I can find a lot of my Woochers, which is the original spelling pronunciation, in the northern Virginia area, which is a relatively common migration path for, for those Germans. And then it's like, okay, we need to do some more research in the 25th or 26th hour of the day. And then how about uh, your English lines? When, when did they Really come? have not explored those at all. Okay. Just have not. I've been more focused on, on the German. Okay. Yeah. All right. And is there any ancestor that has called out to you? Um, because my parents and my aunts and uncles never like to talk about their past, I'm still very interested in their, in recent ancestors, the ancestors who died just before I was born. Um, I'm most fascinated with um, my father's father when I was young. I admit, not now, but when I was young, I thought it was the coolest name in the world, Valentine Witcher. It's like, wow, wouldn't that be cool to be named Valentine But when I was a teenager? Thank God I'm not named Valentine. <laughs> but, uh, so I'm really excited about him uh, and have focused a lot on him. Um, one of the reasons why I'm excited is because my father wouldn't tell me much about him, and my mother didn't like him. And it's like, well, um, I wonder what's there. I wonder what kind of story is there. Whenever she got mad at my dad, she would call him by his grandfather's name, Jacob. Oh, you're just like old Jake Witcher. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Hmm, I, want, I wonder about old Jake Witcher. What can we find out about old Jake Witcher? And I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. A couple of years ago, my younger sister found a picture going through some of my great-grandmother's materials. And here was a picture with very few, people, very few people identified, but there in the middle, everyone had a beer stein. And they were all with this funny grin on their faces. And Jake Witcher was one of the people identified. I thought, oh, that's what my mom was referring to, that old Jake Witcher. But I wonder what's the story behind that. <laughs> all right. All right. Kurt, thank you so much uh, well, for you. joining us. It's just been marvelous to be here and to hear more about the library, the center, and, and Percy. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you. And this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. One more